In lieu of not taking a visit to the China cabinet in last week's episode, this week we spend our entire, albeit condensed, episode talking about China. I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. It rained all weekend, so I didn't get to do any of the yard work I planned on doing. My Cubs have no shot at the postseason. Wait, you own so, them now? Your Cubs? Well, anybody who's a fan owns the Cubs. Wait, so now it's like the Green be... Bay Packers where it's publicly owned? Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. So now I have to be a Braves fan for my wife's sake, which is not fun. And they're losing. They, they finally no, won they're, again. They're uh, neck and neck with the Mets. They're, they might make it. So, yeah. Now we're sitting here. Like that, it, was a, it was a rough weekend for me. Yeah, and I think because um, of our time limitations, doing a, an abbreviated one this week, and because we cut out the China cabinet last week, I would appreciate your allowing me to get into the China cabinet. You can follow me into the China cabinet. Okay. Do we have like a creaking – it, it should be like some sort of sound creaking effects door sound. Is that like the, the cabinet in Narnia? Well, it could be. That that's um. It's an armoire. That's, Sorry, that's um, a wardrobe. That's very a wardrobe. <laughs> that's right. And they see the White Witch, which I guess could be communist China. So let me remind our listeners where we laugh, last left this, so they can um, be brought up to speed. But a couple of episodes ago, we started reading from a special report uh, produced and published by the Heritage Foundation this past July of 2022. And we address this issue of the Chinese Communist Party exploiting subnational entities, which are entities below the federal government, below um, in terms of where the government sits. So this report is intended to address what states can do to address the, the threat from the Chinese Communist Party. What I'm going to do today is to read a couple of pages of this report, and then we can discuss more because – the way this report reads is is very compelling and very helpful. So I don't mean to do it like story time, but I think uh, I think you'll get the drift here. A couple of refreshers. China's infiltration encompasses, as we talked about, businesses, universities, religious organizations, police departments, and government bar- bodies as far down as the community level. This is what we talk about when we say subnational entities. The federal government lacks both the manpower and the local expertise to combat such wide range of activities. Another reason why states can't count on the federal government to come to their rescue is that some of these issues are simply not for the federal government to regulate. The U.S. Constitution gives states a high degree of autonomy, while the national security implications of Beijing's actions at the subnational level mean that there's likely more that Congress can do and should do to confront these threats, there are many areas where it simply cannot. Now, the Chinese government understands this and takes advantage of this constant tension between the federal government priorities and the state's rights. While Washington has to worry about the constitutionality of any action it takes, Beijing simply does whatever it can get away with. Indeed, many of China's incursions into states, cities, and communities across America can only be adequately confronted at the state level. So the remainder of this report, uh, we're going to get into over the next four weeks, four areas, four urgent threats, and what some states are doing to confront these threats. So today we're going to talk about awarding state contracts and infrastructure projects to Chinese government-linked companies. 
In July 2021, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed the Lone Star Infrastructure Protection Act, a bill that was designed to prevent businesses with ties to hostile nations from accessing the state's energy grid and other critical infrastructure. The bill was developed after a Chinese billionaire with ties to the CCP and the People's Liberation Army, that's the PLA, and a business empire in uh, Zhejiang attempted to build a wind farm on land that he had purchased near a U.S. Air Force base. The incident sparked widespread concern that the wind farm could be used, you think, by China to harm the state's energy grid or to spy on or interfere with the air base. Alarmingly, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States approved the deal. And this is where we have to be honest. And it was the Trump administration that was planning to allow it to proceed, which it likely would have had the Texas state government not intervened. The new law passed both houses of the state's legislature unanimously and is the first of its kind at the state level. The crisis that spawned it, however, is all too common. Firms linked to the Chinese government routinely bid for and often win contracts to build public infrastructure or to supply government entities with technology. Now, the problem is that these state contracts and infrastructure projects are not standard business opportunities, and the Chinese firms that bid for them often do, they don't complete on a level playing field. Why do you think that is? Well, Chinese state-owned enterprises, what we'll call SOEs, are the companies that are bidding for these. And what do they have that the other companies that do not have? Slave labor. Well, they have that. (laughs) Yeah, that's even not mentioned. That's a good point, Gary, which gives them another competitive advantage financially. But they receive generous subsidies from Beijing. So they're allowed to outbid or underbid their non-Chinese competitors. Studies of public bidding in Europe have found that Chinese SOEs tend to underbid their competitors by a whopping 30%. Now, think about this in terms of what do our – I'm going to pause just for a second for discussion. What do our legislators always tell us whenever we talk about issues of liberty? They always want to tell us about all this other good stuff they're doing for us. We don't need to be concerned about liberty liberty because they're saving us what? Money? Yeah. Right? Lowering taxes and, and bringing businesses and jobs Job and everything growth. like that, right? So think Return of Return on investment. So think of this. This is exactly what's happening. While the lower price tag saves taxpayer dollars, they risk effectively pushing U.S. firms out of their own market by making the U.S. firms unable to compete for the largest, most profitable projects. This displacement would threaten Americans' jobs and place current and future U.S. infrastructure needs at the mercy of a regime that has, since 1949, viewed the United States as an enemy. So we would hear from our legislators, it's a common refrain, oh, but we save the state money, right? We chose the cheapest, the least expensive bidder, and of course they won. Well, why was that Chinese-related company able to underbid everybody else? Not because they're a more successful company, but because they're completely subsidized by the Communist Party. All right, so then let's talk about the obvious, the security risks. People do not hire someone who openly speaks of robbing them, right? Have you ever hired someone who said, Gary, (laughs) I want to update your uh, internet, but by the way, I'm going to rob you. It's a plus in my book. (laughs) Sounds great. Or somebody who has a history of breaking and entering, you don't ask him to install your locks or security system. 
Yet this is essentially what governments do when they hire Chinese state-owned firms. Mm. Private companies, remember they all have ties to Beijing. There's no such thing as a true private company in uh, China. To participate in critical infrastructure projects, whether they be railway lines, bus fleets, electrical grids, or mobile networks, thinking 5G, Huawei. It is even more unthinkable that so many federal and state government offices use technology from China in their day-to-day operations. All right. So, recklessness. When Americans allow firms controlled by a geopolitical rival to build their critical infrastructure, they practically invite the Chinese to embed vulnerabilities they can exploit in times of conflict. Indeed, it is well documented that Chinese technology firms often insert backdoors, here again, ta-da, surprise, in their hardware and software that can give them remote access to user systems and data. But remember, they did it cheaper than the American companies. Mm. So that's all that matters because we're saving you money. Save money. It's all good. While one would we'll ex- rob you blind later. Exactly. <laughs> rob you of more than your money, right? Rob you of your liberty. While one would expect government offices to naturally avoid purchasing technology from foreign adversaries, such common sense is not always heated. The U.S. government has recognized the security risk posed by Huawei. And by the way, this is the one that most people think is like Hawaii because it's spelled H-U-A-W-E-Y, mm. but it's Huawei. And ZTE for at least a decade. But federal agencies were not prohibited. Listen to this. So we we say Huawei and ZTE are security risk, but we don't prohibit them anybody from purchasing equipment from these and a select group of other Chinese technology companies until 2019. So they recognize it and say it's dangerous, but you can keep buying from the bad guys until some date in the future. I think that legislation was passed perhaps in 2017. So two years of of robust. Chinese influence even after we pass the law. Although the list of prohibited companies is far from comprehensive, enforcement has also been spotty. Now, getting to the end of this segment, then we'll discuss. The problem is even more pervasive at the state level. An October 2021 report by China Tech Threat revealed that the governments of 40 states, 40, 40, continue to use equipment supplied by Lenovo and Lexmark to private Chinese companies with close ties to the CCP and Chinese government bodies. Given these figures, no one should have been surprised when cybersecurity firm Mandiant reported in March of 2022 that at least six states were targeted by Chinese government-backed hackers in the past year alone. While the reports did not specify whether these attacks were facilitated by backdoors, Using equipment with a high likelihood of being compromised essentially invites Beijing's prying eyes into U.S. government offices. Now, this is listen to this quote. Responding to Mandiant's report, a leading cybersecurity expert quipped, six states know that they were breached by Chinese spies. Mm-hmm. That means 44 states don't know yet mm-hmm. that they've been breached. <clears throat> wow. In conclusion, the federal government's approach has been to ban its agencies from entering into contracts with a narrow, predefined list of companies, as shown above. Obviously, the effectiveness of this approach has been minimal. Yet, even if Congress eventually passes more effective, wide-ranging restrictions, the restrictions will have little power to protect state governments from this threat. State government bodies fall outside the jurisdiction of the federal government. And while the federal government could ban certain businesses from all U.S. sales or operations— 
essentially taking them out of the running for contracts at any level. Given the minimalist nature of federal legislation on the issue so far, such action does not appear likely in the near term. I just have this image right now. I can see Hillary Clinton printing off her emails from her Lenovo server onto her Lexmark printer <laughs> right now. Exactly. You right? know that happened. Yeah. And wiping her server with a cloth that she ordered from Amazon that was made in China. Yep. You know, I and I'm and I think about what Texas did, of course, which I don't think Texas's law, unless I've misunderstood it, impacts what actual American private companies can do, but that it prevented the state from having contracts. Yeah. Right. But I'm just I'm thinking here in Tennessee, the amount of business we already do with China, public and private, but these deals recently, just last year, bringing in the um, huge LG battery plant in Murray County and then mm -hmm. the billion-dollar Ford deal, which we don't talk about this. We always we, – we talk a lot about – not just on the podcast, but I've talked a lot about the billion-dollar Ford deal in West Tennessee. But keep in mind, it's not just a Ford plant. It is going to be the global hub of mm -hmm. the new F-150 electric truck. So I'm thinking about in Tennessee just those two investments with our tax dollars right there, the – invitation we've just given to massive Chinese influence. I mean, that all of those relationships that Ford and LG are going to be entertaining to provide all of those products is, I would guess, right, predominantly Chinese. I didn't know. Is LG a Chinese company? Kore Korean, Korean, actually. Okay. But, but I'm thinking about all of the, the parts and everything that goes into sure. manufacturing those items. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's China. It, yeah. It's very difficult to find a product that doesn't have something of Chinese origin in it. That, that's why, for example, was it a couple weeks ago on this program that we were talking about, um, gosh, I can't remember the, um, but there was a law that was passed that talked about the difference between, ah, shoot, I can't remember. The, the point I was going to make is simply that they used language in the statute that said it has to be assembled in the United States, which means that which is different than manufactured Correct, in the United States. Correct, because you can make all the parts somewhere else. Yes, just put and then just put them together <laughs> here. You can't say made in the USA. You say assembled in the USA, which implies, if no one understands, it implies that these parts have been made in other countries and most likely in China because that's where most of our country does its business. It's, we like, uh, it's like whiskey. A lot of people may not know this. The back of a bottle of whiskey can say produced and bottled by, but that does not mean that they made... The juice that's actually in the bottle. Right. So it's, it has to say distilled on the back of the bottle. So it's all semantics. Correct. It's definitely <laughs> semantics. And I, we have become beholden, uh, setting aside the security issues and risks that we've talked about in this report, we have also, f since the Nixon administration, become beholden to China to make everything. And it's all been driven by what? Money. Money. The dollar, right? Cheaper through employment of child labor that they would never allow in this country. And when money becomes the central issue, then you set aside all of the important issues, which include now being completely beholden to a country that is our enemy, and they make everything. And so they can stop. They can stop making whatever they want to make or withhold it and say, sorry, we're not giving this to you until you do fill in the blank. One, it's always money. I'm just thinking about two, not 100% on point, with what you were reading, but, you know, back in 2012, gosh, I can't believe that was 10 years ago when uh, I used to run a microbrewery back in Texas. 
And I can remember when we were starting up and you're looking at equipment in the in the brewing world, the cream of the crop, because we're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands, sometimes, you know, millions of dollars in equipment. I mean, it's incredibly capital intensive business for all the tanks and everything to, to commercially produce. And the, the cream of the crop is is German stuff. I mean, you know, the, the German made equipment, that's that's the stuff. Then you've got primarily a lot of stuff made in Canada, which is sort of like Canada and U.S. is kind of the middle of the road. And then there's China, you know, all the stuff where they got the the schematics from somewhere and just started welding crap mm-hmm. together. Well, I can tell you as a small brewer starting out, I mean, everyone that I knew, everyone were buying tanks from China. I, I mean, literally, you could go to uh, Alibaba.com and like buy <laughs> seriously and buy brewing equipment. And so, which by the way, Alibaba is another complete China cover operation, yeah. right? When, when, yeah, when Frank uh, Ma or whatever. Yeah. When, when it's Jack, no, not Jack Ma. Jack Ma. Jack, Jack Ma. Ma. Yeah. Jack when Ma, Jack Ma, so, Ma launched yes. that, everybody tried to make it look like he was the Chinese equivalent of Bill Gates or of um, Jeff Bezos. Of Jeff Bezos, of Jeff Bezos yeah. Yeah. or of, or of Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth. He was entirely subsidized by the Communist Party to make it look that way and to get people's buy-in. So sorry, your story. Well, just again, even even in that industry, just the drive because of the dollar. Like, I mean, you're a small business and it's the literally, you know, you're outfitting a, a, a 10 barrel small brewery. And it's the difference between a million dollars and three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. That mm-hmm. big of a difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a huge drive to go Chinese. I, you know, I'll, we went Canada. We went Canadian. So we, because I, because literally. You went to another communist country. Well, I just, okay. <laughs> Close. I know, at the time, Close. at the time it wasn't. Yeah, but, it wasn't in 2012, maybe. But now we, it's owned by China. Yeah. We, I just, I was like, I could not stomach the thought of outfitting my entire small American craft brewery with Chinese equipment. I just couldn't do it, even though it cost us money. Well, I'm guilty of it here. I mean, just on as much that same thing, but on a much smaller scale in an office setting, it's like I could go to, I don't know, name an American furniture company. I don't know. I don't even know if you can name an American furniture company. I buy most of my furniture from a Swedish company called well, IKEA. IKEA. <laughs> so you could go to IKEA and buy it from the Swedes or you could go on Amazon and find the same exact thing for half the price that's made in China and get it here in, in the next day. Well, and I've what, done that plenty of times. Well, think about it. Italian products, right? Italians are known for their design worldwide, whether it's clothing design, whether it's car design, right? That's their feature. German is about the um, engineering, but the Italians are about the design. And yet the Italians are so in bed with the Chinese, which was finally exposed during covid that much of what you would buy from Italy today is actually, if not made in China, is certainly subsidized mm. by China. So, yeah, China, through the Belt and Road Initiative, which we can talk about in another episode, they're everywhere. They, they have been so strategic in their plan to take over the world, and they're being successful because the ignorant are blindly going along with it or contributing to it. Well, bravo to Texas for running that legislation. I mean, I can just say as a Tennessean— as a taxpayer, I'm wholly okay with the state of Tennessee spending, you know, more of my tax dollars uh, inefficiently, they might say, mm-hmm. with, you know, at least North American. As you pointed out, we we got to stay away from Canada now, too, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with United, with U.S. companies, 
for all of these infrastructure projects and things that we have to do. I mean, absolutely. You know, let's let's do less, whatever the budget demands. Do less projects and spend make make them more expensive and keep it in house. We've got to, we've just got to get away. But you know, that's been their plan, right? They have lured us into this world of cheap goods. Yep. You know, it's it's uh, um, it's a lust mm-hmm. Americans have to get on Amazon and buy stuff. something cheap. Gotta have stuff. I have a related question. So. Do you know whether that Chinese infrastructure that they use in the brewery business, whether it was good or did it break down easily? And the reason I ask that is because a lot of Chinese product is very cheaply made, right? Mm -hmm. It's inexpensive, but it's also very cheap, whether it's clothes, whether it is case in point came up with the Russia invasion of Ukraine because all of the Russian tires on their military vehicles when they first began that invasion were Chinese tires, and they w- were actually not effective in sustaining the, the Russian vehicles. They all, like, <laughs> broke down and popped and everything like that. So I was curious whether it was good equipment. On yep. the office-level scale, it, that is true. Stuff falls apart quickly. <laughs> <clears throat> so the mechanical stuff, like a canning line, things, mechanical stuff, crap. Things like uh, like a tank— that you're, it's literally just about how good the welds are. Mm-hmm. Usually, okay. So, no, a lot of guys with fermentation tanks and things like that were were just fine. But but what a, most of them would do is buy the tank from China, but re-outfit all of the valves with North American made valves. Mm. Like you do not want to use the Chinese valve. So interesting. Anything mechanical, toss it. So that's kind of how it huh. So I'm works. kind of curious. I've been thinking about that big picture. Now, this is not to be unduly optimistic, but, you know, China has both through stealing and through us selling and giving away technology to them over the last 50 years, they have gone from a third world country when it comes to technology. Like they, they couldn't float a ship. They couldn't launch an aircraft carrier. They couldn't get a missile off the ground, let alone one with a nuclear warhead to now where they are ahead of us in all of those areas and they've been they've been making equipment and infrastructure military infrastructure so quickly i wonder whether the same holds true with regard to like they have a J20 jet which is a complete copy and steal of our design from our F22 which we don't make anymore but we still have like 160 left um, we only made by the way like 177 of those and then we shut down operations to focus all of our efforts on a can do everything copier. This was what I call the F thirty five program, <laughs> which means none of it is now really you're just good. like getting into aviation nerd. <clears throat> I'll get back realm. into that okay. some another episode. But I wonder if, when the rubber meets the road, whether this Chinese equipment will also fail similarly. Not that we should be, not should not that we should be arrogant about that or assume that it is. But I, why wouldn't that be the case? Why would they make all of a sudden? all of this other equipment when everything else they're making is cheap. You wonder if they cut corners in the same way to get it done quickly and if their airplanes will fall apart. The argument could also be made that they make all that stuff that we want to consume so quickly, cheaply, and the stuff that they want for their own, they actually paid more attention to and yeah. do a better job on. And that is a good argument, and I can't, but I am curious. I'm kind My of curious. My question is, before before we have to wrap up, I listen to a podcast. It's true, I listen to other podcasts, not just ours. <laughs> I listened to a podcast the other day that was talking about it was uh, comparing um, GDP growth and military spending up across the top like five, I guess, mm-hmm. nations. What do you call them? 
built up nation. Um, well, they used what's the to, word for it? They wouldn't call Chinese a Western nation, but they used to talk about those. Oh, G five, G seven, yeah, like all the biggest nations. And it showed it showed how China rose and rose and rose over the years, especially on the military spending side. But it also made the argument that China is like uh, two hundred and something percent overextended itself. Hmm. And and so it has that problem with the money side of things, but then it also has the problem on the generational side of things mm-hmm. that they are, uh, I don't know what it's called, regeneration rate or whatever. Right, because of the one-child policy for correct. so many years. Yeah. yeah. So maybe this is a question for both of you if, if you have any insight into it or opinion on it. Is what China's doing right now sustainable? No. There's so And how long how if the answer is no, how long will it take well, for this to th- collapse? This is again, it's why we should have another episode about this topic. But in short, this is the good side for us, right? It's it's terrible for China, but the good side for our security is that while we see all of these things that China is doing, they're under severe financial mm-hmm. potential to collapse too. Now we are as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like we're a, a free and that point was made, and there were five things that the Chinese government could do to try and save themselves at this point. All five of them would have essentially turned them into a capitalistic society, which they're not going to do. Well, yeah, what the current regime. So, in apparent, there's two things going on when the Chinese regime is rattling the sabers all over the world. Part of it is because of their their desire to control mm-hmm. the whole world, right? right? But part of it is to not lose political power among their own people because right. they know they're about to collapse financially. So if we can make the United States the enemy and all of the other free countries the enemy, then the people will rally around us despite the – and that's what all totalitarian regimes mm-hmm. do. Um, so, yeah, and the other thing that we have to remember in tandem with that is that there are more Christians – in the country of China than there are people in the United States, which wow. is which is humbling to us. <clears throat> and it's most of them are underground church, right? You can't be really open about your faith in China, but it's they are serious statistic. about their faith. So I don't know what God has in mind, and I, I do think the United States is under judgment because of our rebellion, but I also know that in God's mercy, we don't know what the future holds, and I think we need to be praying about that because— there could be a there could be a war. You know, people in China. I do know this. My wife and I were talking about it this morning. People in China have been praying for the United States for a long. Meaning the Christians in China, because they have seen us on this decline for a long time, and they have here they are under persecution in a communist country, and yet they're praying for the United States to wake up because they know that we have been kind of the bulwark of freedom that they could rely upon to, to to enforce their human rights, to enforce their freedoms. And so they've been praying for us to make the right decision, which I think is compelling. I've heard that story on more than one occasion and in more than one instance in terms of people in other nations uh, with what's been going on in our country in the last five, maybe 10 years Christians praying for America, yeah, mm-hmm. to to come out of its slumber, to wake up and once again be the bastion of hope and liberty, because America has filled that void in the world for so long, and uh, we are no longer filling that void. We are no longer exporting hope and liberty and freedom to the masses, and that's that's sobering to think about as we close. Um, you know, other nations experiencing tyranny and totalitarianism, those believers literally praying for 
not only for salvation and deliverance, but but praying for America mm-hmm. because they know that for so long that hope and oftentimes salvation and deliverance God has brought through what he's done here in the United States. And um, my, how far we've come from being that city on a hill. But on a high note, I think that what ha- has happened over the past two and a half years or so with COVID has woken up a good portion it of has. this country. It absolutely has. Um, uh, and obviously has also exposed the other side and what's going on with our current administration and, and, and the route they're taking. But I think there's a good portion of the American public that has been awakened. I mean, our show wouldn't exist if it weren't for that. Right. So <clears throat> true. Although I would point out, John, I don't think there's such a word as woken. It's awakened. I think you said has woke. What did I say? I don't know. It wouldn't be the first time I made up a word. It you guys should know by now. Awakened. I no, I just always do that to my children. So <clears throat> Anyway, Joe Rogan, welcome. Absolutely. If we can get to 11 million people. Uh, if, wouldn't that be great we if don't, we... We don't need that. Has Joe Rogan ever made up words on his podcast? Oh, I'm sure he has. <laughs> I mean, three hours a day. You realize there's weed involved with that show every now and then, right? If you make up words enough, they actually become real words, and they have real definitions. They end up in the Urban Dictionary. Yeah, and eventually probably get in Merriam-Webster. And Matt Walsh, both. Always welcome. Yes. All right, till next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.